Hello and welcome to the Please Be Seated podcast. This is the... Actually, I might restart that. I've just realised this is... This should be the first episode of Series 2, so I'll probably do a better introduction on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it definitely wants to be better. Definitely wants to be better. Pressure's on. Oof. Welcome to the first episode of season two of the Please Be Seated podcast. Beautiful. I'm here today by, you've heard his voice already, John Archer. Hello. Can I just say what a wonderful introduction to the whole podcast that was. It was slick and smooth. Right. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, could you tell us a bit about what you do? Certainly. I am a comedy magician. That's the very, very short version. So I do comedy and I do magic. Um, try, to, try to do strong comedy and try to do strong magic. That's, a, that's about it, really. And I perform anywhere and everywhere they'll have me. I found it quite a shock when I realised that it, you were on Help My Supply Teachers Magic, because I loved that show. For oh, right, yeah, and you're, you're the right age, you'll have been about, hmm. when that was on, you would have been about seven or eight or something hmm. like that, were you? Yeah, I think so. Um, so how long were you on the show for? Because I've I had no idea, like, CBBC did reruns and stuff, I assume. Uh, so. we, we did three, three series of, I think each series was about 13 episodes. So, um... And we did them sort of one after another. So it was probably for about three or four years, roughly. Did you um, get recognised at any point by any of the kids? Cause that... I, I got, yeah, I got recognised a little bit by children, which is always was always a bit worrying. Sort of, um, sort of kids running up to you thinking they know you in the middle of nowhere. But um, <laughs> it didn't. It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen too much. It, it happened now and again. It's oh, it would depend where you were as well. And not with any of the classes as you were with them, I assume, then? Well, no, sometimes we did have issues where there'd be a, a, maybe a kid or a couple of kids in the class who thought, hang on a minute, I think he's from that television show. Um, as, 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 as each series went on, we, we got more and more disguised. So the first series, nobody knew who we were. We just did it as we were. Second series, we started, you know, wearing glasses and fake moustaches and then... By the third series, it was beards and glasses and hats and everything to, to disguise ourselves. Um, so, yeah, it went there. And wigs as well, sort of, in the third series. It was great. Um, but, I mean, if, if we thought we'd been recognised, we'd sort of shut them down. Because it was still a classroom, so we could just say, shut up, put your hands down. And, and we could get around it and film it. Like, you know, we would just sh- wouldn't show them spotting us, obviously. Um so, and recently you've come to people's attention through Britain's Got Talent. So, yeah. what was yeah. uh, that experience like? That was great fun. Yeah, I loved it. I sort of went in with a sort of just the idea of um, facing my fears and giving it a try and, you know, just standing up in front of the judges and see if I could do it. That was sort of my main thing. But, uh, I, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, I was disappointed not to get to the final, obviously, but I was in a very tough semi final, so. What, was it um, as was it as good as you expected? Because I've heard a lot of things coming out recently about people who've had issues with being on the show and how it's ran. No, I um I think the uh, either I did just didn't experience any of those bad things and I was lucky, or maybe Britain's Got Talent have changed their attitude a little bit. I think it's probably the second one. I think Britain's Got Talent have realised that they've got to keep these you know the acts happy and not be too nasty to them because. Word gets round and then people won't go on the show. So I think I think there's a bit of that going on. Plus, I think television's changing now, where they're realising they can't ridicule too many people on television because it could have repercussions. So mm. and you having to fight um, streaming and other platform services as well, like TV's not people's prime way of watching stuff. Yeah, exactly, show. exactly, exactly. They've got you know they want they want people to like the show and they're going to like the show if they know people enjoy being on it. I suppose. So, um, so yeah, no, I had uh, had a great time. It was very good. And you were quite established before going on BGT, weren't you? You've had a BAFTA, haven't you? And you've well, I've of... worked on two shows that have won BAFTAs. I mean, I've got BAFTAs in my house. And the um, 
Help My Supply Teachers Magic, the second series, which was called Help My Supply Teachers Still Magic. That won a BAFTA in the children's BAFTAs. And um, and I, obviously I was in the show and I wrote the show, so I feel a little bit like I'm partly responsible. Um, and then also there was a show on ITV called The Sketch Show many, many years ago with Lee Mack and Tim Vine and a gang I've of others. I've seen little that. snippets of that. Yeah. Well, I was on one of the writers on that show and that won a BAFTA as well, so I claim a little bit of a little bit of um, responsibility for that, even if it's only a tiny amount. So, so yeah, I've been involved in a couple of BAFTA shows and lots of other stuff as well. But, I mean, it all depends what you mean by um, established. Because, you know, I, I, I don't get recognised walking down the street. I'm not a household name. I think I'm, I'm a bit niche. I'm known by magic people. Uh, and, and, you know, some hardened comedy fans might have heard of me. But I'm not. I'm certainly not a household name. And you wrote you wrote a great part for the uh, Does God Lol book a while ago, which I picked up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a good book. Yeah, mm. my mm. favorite bit, the favorite chapter in there is um, I think by um, Paul Tongitson. He he does a there's a great little chapter by him in that, um, and Tim writes one as well. I can't remember. I can't remember mine. I remember the other people's more than I remember my own. I like how there sort of is a community of. Hate to use the term, you know, Christian comedians almost. There's the yeah comedians you've, you've who have got to the groups. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. that's the issue. The issue with not being branded. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It, it is. It is strange to. You know, if you identify yourself as Christian comedian, it sounds like somehow you do comedy that's different to anybody else. When really, it's just you. You know, if you were a Christian plumber, you'd just still do the same. You wouldn't fit a tap differently, would you? You just. Yeah, my dad just, is a Christian um, handyman, actually. So that's quite a. So yeah, it's it's a strange sort of thing to link together, really. It's just I, you know, we are comedians and we happen to be Christians as well. Could you That's see yourself it, really, going a similar route to Andy Kine with his Hidden in Plain Sight tour? An idea of like mixing your faith in your show? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting what he's doing. I, I if I do. You know, I do church events where I will go and I will talk about my faith. But when I'm doing an ordinary, regular, for want of a better word, secular gig, then I uh, I don't really uh, do any preaching or, you know, talking about my faith as such. Um, I mean, I, I could possibly. I just, you know, I'm not sure. I'd have to know why I was doing it, I suppose, and, uh, and feel like I wanted to do it and it was right to do. I don't know. So... You came up. You decided to choose planes, trains, and automobiles for your uh, film. I, I did. Yeah, there's a few a few favourites that I have. That's probably my favourite comedy. My favourite film of all time is It's a Wonderful Life, which sounds very cliché because everybody picks that. But um, it's just you know, the more you watch it, the better it gets. But um, it's a more acceptable yeah. answer than my favourite film, which is About Time, a Richard Curtis rom-com. It doesn't hold up great in my film studies class. Uh, no, but do you know what? That, uh, about Time, I've seen that, but that, that's good. I'm trying to remember the the premise of that film. Remind me. He's, um... Um, he finds out that all the men in his family can travel back in time. Ah, that's right. That's a left. great movie. That is a great movie, yeah. Yeah. But I've always got a soft spot for any Richard Curtis film, as with John yeah. Hughes, so I'm, great yeah. I'm glad that you I... chose this today. Yeah, that's very different for Richard Curtis, though, isn't it? Because it's, it, you know, I mean, most of his stuff is quite realistic sort of relationship type things, and I suppose that is as well. But this, the concept of time travel is quite unique. For well, him, last so. last week at time of recording, he made uh, he released yesterday about the Beatles. Um, ah, which of is, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been to see twice. I never go to see a film twice, but that that is an incredible film for anyone. Yeah, who I, I went to see that see last week, and it is. More than anything else, it makes you realise how great the Beatles songs are. Mm. Like I, I, I was aware of them and I knew a lot of their songs, but almost didn't know that they were theirs. It was sort of yeah, quite yeah. A, it opened my eyes up to it definitely, and I've been listening a lot recently to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you just hear them broken down just to a vocal and guitar, you go, oh, "Wow, that's just so good." Um, anyway, planes, trains, and automobiles. That's yes, planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> yes, the wonderful adventures of uh, Neil and Del. Um, so what was your first experience with this film? Do you know what? I, I can't remember. I, 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 I'm I a, a massive Steve Martin fan. Certainly his earlier films. I really loved his early stuff. Um, you know, The Jerk. I think you've got to be a Steve Martin fan to enjoy The Jerk because it's a bit off the wall and it's very much 
based on his, you know, you can see his stand-up character in it. Whereas when you get to things like uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, he's much more sort of a, an actor-type character in it, but still being mad. But, I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of his later stuff, you know, the bridesmaidsy type, whatever, you know, on family films and all of those things he did. But um, certainly Trends, Planes and Automobiles is one of his best ones. And John Candy as well. I'm just a massive fan of John Candy. And the good thing about Trends, Planes and Automobiles is it is it's a perfect combination of both of their real characters. So neither of them are really acting out of place. They're acting exactly how we know them as. They're stereotypical sort of characters, if you like. Um, and, and, you know, so it just works great. They just clash together perfectly. I love it. Just to double-check everything now, I've just realised I've been saying planes, trains, you've been saying trains, planes. I'm going to double-check the book just to avoid any listeners confusion there okay yeah right it's planes trains and planes trains yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think you you've switched it around at one point and i was like have i got it wrong if we got it? <laughs> yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean it's one thing it definitely isn't is automobile automobiles trains and planes no yeah. um and i think what you can really see is the roots of like john hughes's original work with vacation like there is an awful yeah, lot of yeah. vacation and i mean even down to the metallic p station wagon um yeah, yeah i think that's yeah, what yeah, eugene yeah. levy called but, it at the start of vacation i'm not sure <laughs> yeah yeah no i have no i have of course i have yeah but um yeah it is yeah because he, he did a lot of those sort of teen type movies mm. didn't he? or teen type humor movies certainly um i don't i can't remember all of them but um but this this is like almost like a grown up version of one of those. It's sort of, um, yeah. you know, it's just just it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful the way the you know the relationship they both have together and that sort of you know the 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 way you slowly discover you know who who both of the characters are. Mm. You know, you know that I mean when they have that rent rant in the you know in the motel room and he just suddenly. Steve Martin's character Neil just goes at him and you know just picks at every single joke, and then that Dell character just sort of you know just you know crestfallen and and it's that moment I think you just, the whole audience you can't help but fall in love with him and feel sorry for him and yeah. and Hughes sort of twists the conventions there because in your typical two people who don't get along on a road trip film that would be the third act them arguing. So the fact that he got it away, got away, you know, got out of the way of the first act, and then yeah, yeah. you you don't know what's going to happen next, and I don't think many people expected the ending. No, no, that, well, well, the ending is just, you, and you sort of want, you desperately want closure on the whole thing, don't you? You want you, you don't really, you think you know both of the characters, and you just you think there's no way they could ever get on, and then yeah, I mean, it's, it's heart wrenching when. You know, when they go the separate ways on the train, and then suddenly, Steve Martin just puts all of the, all of the clues together, and and you know rushes back for him, and it, 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 yeah, it's just it's gorgeous. It's it's you know, and it's hilarious as well. It's just you know from start to finish, it's just um, just classic. Just you know. So let's um, dig a little deeper into the film, and we open with two days before Thanksgiving in New York and Neil has to leave and his boss is wasting time by looking at the the images uh, for ages of what they're planning yeah <laughs> yeah think... and, and that, that's just a great way that's, that sets you up with who Steve Martin is right right from the top you sort of you, you sort of get Steve Martin's character straight away I, I think I think um, Dell's you know Dell um, is, you sort of you discover him much slower really I think you know, you're not really sure who he is. So you, you start off thinking, is he, uh, is he an idiot? Is he horrible? Is he a pain in the neck? Is it, you know, it, does he mean, you know, does he really mean these nice things he says to people? And or is it, you know, is is is, is he a con man? You really don't know about Dell until later on in the film. Whereas Steve Martin, right at the top, that that thing where he just wants to get away, and he's frustrated, and you can, you, you see his whole life. You just sort of know who he is. Uh, in that first scene, really, and it never really changes until right at the end, you know, because it, you know, and then and then suddenly it, 
suddenly we see a little bit of heart in him. We see glimpses, but uh, it's a perfect it's a perfect first scene, isn't it? And I think it's like you go a solid two to three minutes without any dialogue, and I think that's sort of a a brave way to start a film, but I think it it works incredibly well. Um, because like you always want to open with like a big moment, so the fact that you know Hughes doesn't, and he doesn't with many of his films really. No, um, I'm trying but, to think. But, but... Yeah. Steve Martin, Steve Martin's so physical, isn't he? That you can you can sort of you, you can get a lot out of Steve Martin without words, you know. Um, so that helps, I think. And then Dell catches a cab while Neil haggles with someone for it. Yeah, he steals his cab basically. Yeah, he um, sort of jumps in it, doesn't he? And it's the sort of time uh, during that whole cab scene where we get a, a cameo from Kevin Bacon. Ah, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, You've obviously watched. See, I haven't watched it for about five minutes. <laughs> so I'm, you're just reminding me of these things now. I remember, obviously, they're stealing the cab thing with that massive big truck that he just he's hauling around, um, which is sort of you know just this piece of baggage, which ironically he's got with him throughout the whole movie. It's sort of uh, yeah. Now, have you... So, so, so where, where's Kevin Bacon again? Remember, I, I've forgotten about that. He is the... Um, I think he's the first guy who... like he was, oh, was it, He's racing against Steve Martin for the cab, I think. He doesn't say anything, but it's just like a brief cameo, and there's like an interview with him about it since. Um, but on the topic of Kevin Bacon, have you ever uh, played Six Degrees right. of Kevin Bacon? Uh, I have. You have? Um, although... I have played it a long time ago. I can't remember how I got to Kevin Bacon. Um, but Elvis is always a good route, I find, because I've shaken hands with one of Elvis's bodyguards. So that immediately takes me to Elvis. And then you can you can get to pretty much anybody from Elvis. Please. I think I did like a whole podcast for an old show of mine ages ago, which I never released, where myself and a friend of mine just went through ages trying to do it... Um, but anyway, he's only in it for a cameo, and we've dedicated the largest part of the show to him. So, um, uh, Although you do hear him speak later on, uh, there's a scene where Neil's wife is watching she's having a baby. Um, like, very briefly. Um, I think I know too much John Hughes to have recognised that. You do. You do. I, I've missed all of this. I've missed all of this. I also noticed that in the background of Ferris Bueller there's a poster for Don't You Forget About Me, the song from The Breakfast Club. So, Way too much. Mm, I, I, yeah, I should focus on my GCSEs. That'd be good. Yeah, you should. Who is your favourite uh, director? Oh, that's, that's a hard Because like, I like John Hughes as a writer, but not so much as a director. Because um, yeah. he wrote, directed and produced yeah. it, didn't he? I mean, it's it's good, but I don't think he's he's like up there with the the top directors. Um, I don't know. I, I should know because people have asked me that all the time, but I, I have no idea who my favourite director is. No, well, I don't really. I'm, you know, I, uh, I just like what people do. Mm. I mean, yesterday was um, Daddy Boyle, Daddy wasn't Boyle, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was really well done. I mean, I think that's the best directed Richard Curtis film. Um, yeah. But on just in case I forget later on, John Hughes sort of annoyed the MPAA with this film as... It was so close to a PG. I don't know. It was, it, it was the, the big uh, symphony of F-words in the car park yeah. that threw it Which to I an think, I think that's genuinely quite... Like, apparently no one's complained about it. You know, it is. I mean, a... I, I'm not a massive fan of swearing, uh, particularly no. by act or anything. But um, it just... It sort of works so well in that scene. It makes so much sense. It's like... It like perfectly lets you know how angry and annoyed he is, um, and you sort of think um, you you can't imagine that working uh, with anything else than the use of his f word nonstop that happens there. Mm. I think um, on on paper, I think it might have been a bit of a, a rough one. Yeah, like, you know, I, I could see him very easily sort of cutting that out and not going with it because Steve Martin's not really one who uses too much bad language. No, he isn't. So but I, I think, think, I think it's, you know, it's it's that, you know, it's just showing somebody who's been pushed to the very edge, isn't it? And, and how it can make them react. It's sort of, uh, 
you know, there's so much gone on before. You know, there's this moment where you think he's going to get a rental car, he's just going to drive home. You know, it's all over for him. And then there's this, it all happens again. And you know, um, it is a classic scene. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there are certain classic things in that movie. You know, did, did you see the Bears game? It's like, yeah. um, that you know, that classic thing where the, you know, they wake up in bed together and, um, you know, it's it sort of, again, that's another thing that just, establishes their characters you know they've been brought up as quite reserved and you know um keep themselves to themselves and suddenly they're you know sharing a bed with another man which i don't think it's a homophobic thing i think it is purely just a um mm. you know out of their comfort zone type thing and they just yeah i think it's one which would be people would complain if it happened now but i don't think it's offensive yeah possibly I'm not sure. people I'm not would sure complain on behalf would. of other people that that, that yeah, tends that to be possibly, the way yeah possibly people might complain on behalf of other people but it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't feel wrong to me it feels like those type of characters were reacted that way not um for the pure reason that they're just you know that they don't know how to handle it and, at you know, this so. point they've both got wives you know yeah yeah, so. yeah. well we, yeah, we think yeah. They do. yeah yeah that's right yeah, um so Dell uh, catches the cab while Neil haggles someone for it. We've got that. Um, Neil's plane is delayed. And then he speaks with Dell in the airport. And I think what's incredible about this is when he recognises Dell. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they don't just go to a flashback of the shot. I don't know if you noticed when you've seen it before. They don't yeah. just go to a flashback of him in the cab. What they, actually, what they genuinely do is they would have just dressed John Candy up and put a a taxi door in front of him because he's still got the airport background behind him and he just does the turn and for a half second shot the fact that they carried a taxi door into an airport I think is just incredible yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right I hadn't noticed that but, uh... um, and when we're bouncing into the uh, the house uh, throughout the film I think it's quite interesting that every single house in a John Hughes film has the same layout which is the layout of his family home Oh, is that right? So, well, the Edwards Hall with the staircase straight up yeah. in front of you and the uh, room either side. Yeah, that's... Um, I, you don't see it that prominent in a lot of those films, but it's quite it's quite present in Sixteen Candles, I think. Um, right. Which is... I went through a massive phase of, like, obsession with John Hughes films. Yeah. I still, I still like him now, but there's... I haven't seen Home Alone 3 because uh, I'm just so worried that it'll ruin the other two. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably will. You're right. I have seen it. It will ruin the other two for you. Because <laughs> uh, like, he wrote that, but I'd say anything that John Hughes wrote after the death of John Candy isn't as good as beforehand, because him and John Candy were best friends, so there's like, yeah. there's a de like decrease in his quality of writing there. Um, but, but also, when you're writing... When, when you're writing for somebody who you know so well, it's so much easier. When, yeah. you know, when you're writing for a guy who you you know exactly, you, you can hear their voice say every line, and you can you know you can see them you can you can see them delivering it. That makes a huge difference. You know, when you write for a very specific voice, I think it it would be hard to have anyone else do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I can't think of any other two actors pulling off treads, pleds, and automobiles better. Sorry, pledge treads and automobiles. Start with the fastest, get slower. That's the secret. Oh. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't see any two actors doing it better than they did it. They were almost like, I know it sounds a cliche, but it, 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 you know, you can see that it was written for them. They, they sort of. And apparently, it's their real personalities as well, from what I was reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I was saying earlier on. It's sort of, you know, it is this, you know, their their go-to, you know, when they're acting as themselves, that's who are they like. So, you know, I mean, so many movies, John Candy, uh, you know, actually, Uncle Bucky did. Uncle Bucky was a very strong character. But quite often he plays that affable, lovable, nice guy, you know, with, with, a, few, with a few flaws. His um, first film that he did with Hughes, which is why they met, was vacation, and I think right. he's he's incredible in that yeah. little bit there. So essentially, for this film, we have the test screenings of National Lampoon Va National Lampoon's Vacation to help because they had to redo an, an end scene and everything, which is how we met John Candy. So, uh, right. thank goodness for that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This this film's so different to the others when I'm forgetting characters' names. This is good. Yeah, but I mean, there are. There aren't. There are. It is only those two characters. Anybody else who comes into it is there purely just to to push along. You know the, the you know it's, it is a road movie. It's a buddy movie and it's a road movie sort of. Um. But but uh, you know, but also there's this thing that it's almost like a it's not not like an adventure, but you're discovering something at the end as well, which is which is nice. Um. So they won't put Neil in first class on the airplane, so he's stuck next to Dell. And I think that's sort of a great realisation. Because it is one of those things where, like, you know that the majority of the film is those two together. Yeah. It really is just how you get from point A to point B. And I sort of like the fact that I think Hughes, at the start, is almost teasing us with it. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. It's very much of a, oh, and then, no, they're leaving, you know, they're keep... And I think he teases you with it throughout, which I think is... Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. But but also that that lets us into the head of... Steve Martin a little bit in in that we can see why he's getting frustrated because we are getting frustrated to a certain extent that you know we're constantly being put in this situation we think you know we think there's a a release and then it's not there and then we think there's going to be a release and it's not there and so we're we're experiencing everything that Steve Martin's going through to a certain extent um, and also he's doing it with it, it, with with situations that we we understand you know we we can all relate to you know being stuck in a plane next to a big guy who's annoying you know that's probably usually me that's the big guy being annoying to be honest but um you know we can we can relate to a lot of these situations of somebody talking to us too much when we don't want to and we just want to be quiet or, or you know people you know just doing you know annoying things next to us when we'd rather just like it's just, we relate to a lot of these situations. I think even with a car, even with Steve Martin and the hire car, we can relate to that. You know, you, you, something that seems relatively simple to sort out becomes it, more and, and more convoluted. And I annoying. think his breakdown is what everyone wants to do in that situation. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think I that's think why I think that's why we like that situation so much. It's what we'd all love to do. Um. I think that's. I think that's why you know we 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 allow it and we forgive it. And we don't really criticise it too much. And I'd be quite interested to have a chat with the BBFC at some point and see whether Plays for Automobiles could pass at a twelve now. Because the fact that the that all the language is in one scene, I don't like. I don't know. It just feels like it could be different. Yeah, and also I'm in language now. I'm in, in many twelves that have language anyway. So yeah, yeah. I think it's like the frequency of it or something. Yeah, yeah. That's another one of the things which I'm fanatic of and everyone else just doesn't seem to get. I'm obsessed with the British Board of Film Classification. Mm. Like they, they do these podcasts about how they age rate films and stuff and I find that fascinating and pretty much everyone else I speak to thinks I'm mad. Well, you probably are mad, but mm. I mean, you know, as, as we've seen from planes, trains and automobiles, um, mad people can be quite nice. <laughs> That should be the motto for this show. <laughs> yeah, bad people can be quite nice. There you go. There's um, your little byline. I only took Estelle season two. Right. Um, <laughs> so, Neil speaks to Dell at the airport. We've already done that. Let's scroll down. Right. Professional here. Right. Um, he can't get back to Chicago due to a snowstorm, so they're both stuck in Wichita. Um, I feel like these shows, these things would really help if I had any knowledge of American geography. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I can't work it out. I think for English people watching the movie, we sort of we find it hard to believe that somebody just can't get home with a yeah. few days there. You know, we all think, well, surely you just drive, or surely you just hop on a bus or get a train. You, you know. But I think, I think let's be honest. In, in in England, it's a long journey if it's like more than forty five minutes. It's yeah, a, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We we don't realise that you know they effectively could be. You know, traveling across the whole of Europe on on Thanksgiving when everything's the worst weather ever and everything's getting cancelled. So I suppose it is slightly more believable to an American audience than it is to us, just because we we've never experienced that sort of length of travel at, at such a time under such conditions. 
And Thanksgiving as well. Yeah, but very... Wichita sounds yeah. great. Wichita's just like a funny sounding state, isn't it? Mm. You know, they, they, you know, if they just said, "Oh, we're, we're stuck in," uh, actually, there's quite a few funny states. Albuquerque might have been another good one, but you know, um, but um, certain states sound funnier than others, and Wichita just sounds like a funny place to get stuck. And I think it's what with American films, you often go the route of making it familiar, like you know, deliberately choosing a place which people are familiar with, familiar locations, familiar stuff there. So I think the fact that they haven't as well like i mean i've heard of wichita but i wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it no no i think that's a way of them being america a lot but i've never i've never done wichita you've done vegas though that's quite a i've done vegas yeah i've done vegas a few times vegas la new york Uh, how do your how do your shows work go down with the area where people are so used to magic uh no it's great in in vegas i mean you know the audience is uh, normally magic fans so if they're magic fans then you know so long as you're doing magic you're on a winner so you know um i mean i don't do the big vegas you know showgirl illusion type thing so my stuff is you know unique to me yeah. anyway usually so um you know even if they've seen lots of magic they probably haven't seen me and the way i do it so that's good is there any sort of like Tommy Cooper inspiration behind yeah. comedy magic? Yeah, certainly early on there was a massive Tommy Cooper thing. I used to do a lot of prop gags. I used to do a lot of visual gags with props and things in my early career, but they all got dropped. Um, I mean, your magic tricks go right, unlike a lot of yeah, yeah. No, well, well I, that is the thing. I, I sometimes will put in some elements where it looks like they might have gone wrong, just to. Um, just to lift the expectation of the audience, you know, so, a bit like a bit like when you're making a movie, you know, you sort of you you, you put in that little complication that makes the whole audience go, oh, oh it's impossible now. Um, and it's the same thing with the trick. Sometimes I'll I'll put in a, what seems like a deliberate failure just to drop the expectation of the audience. So when it does work, it's a bigger jump, sort of. Have you had to deal with any actual tricks going wrong? Oh, yeah. oh loads of times, lots and lots of times, yeah. And uh, and sometimes I just have to say, whoops, that's gone wrong, sorry, move on. Uh, sometimes I can recover it and maybe use a bit of knowledge and skill that I've got to still make it work. But um, be- because I do comedy, you can you can sort of get away with tricks going wrong and people think, oh, well, maybe it wasn't meant to work. So. Okay, so back to the film. This no, is... we've gone back to the film. Yeah. <laughs> no, um. I, I've, I've had a habit of these. Yeah, I've had a habit of these things going on considerably longer than the length of the film, so I'll try and avoid that. But have they been, have they been with the big band singing in the back of the truck yet? No. Uh. Oh, hang on. That's no. That's that's Home Alone. Is it Home Alone where they're singing the that's back? Ho- that's Home Alone. Yeah. Mm, I think. Oh, hang on. Oh, they sing on the back of like a coach. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a when he's with like a band. Yeah. is it Home Alone? I think I don't know. <laughs> no, no, he is. He's, he's singing. He gets them all singing all of doesn't he? Uh, yes, yes. In the, in the back of the coach, it is. So a, it's a uh, coach, yes, you're right. Yes, I, I I was picturing there's there's a bit in Home Alone where they're in where like the mothers is with John Candy and his band in the back of a truck, I think. All right, all right. So, yeah, so, so I sort of yeah. blended the two in my head and got a bit confused. Yeah. Right, Wichita. Wichita. Um, Dell helps Neil to get a room in a motel. Nice. And Neil and Dell have to share a room and a bed. Yeah, that's the underpants in the sink. That's the lo- another lovely moment. And of course, they wake it up with the uh, my hand between these two lovely soft pillows. Those are yeah. pillows, and then the scream and. Hmm. Did you see the Bears game? Ooh, all of that, yeah. I think it is like incredible physical comedy they've got there, and I, I think that scene is possibly what sort of brings them closer together. <laughs> in the well, it just uh, yeah. I mean, uh, is, is, isn't that the scene? Is it just after that when he when he has the rad tatted? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas, like, I, why I think, my, my I wife loves I, me. I think actually, that's yeah. certainly when we. Uh, when we start to warm um, to Dell much more, 
just because because of the way he reacts to that. You know, just that little speech where he goes, "I like me, I like who I am." Yeah, I, my wife likes me. My yeah. wife likes me, you know, and I, you know, and he sort of says, "I'm sorry for, you know, for telling the same stories." But there's just that moment where he just really, um, for the first time, I think you see that he's genuine at that moment, uh, and also I think it's maybe the first time as well where you realise that maybe. Maybe Steve Martin's character sees something wrong in the way he's reacted. I think he, he maybe starts discovering his character's not perfect, you know. Yeah. Um, so, which, which of the two of them do you think you relate to the most? Uh, I definitely relate to John Candy's character the most. I'm, I'm definitely the annoying one who would be telling stories when people wanted me to shut up. And um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a business type at all. I'm not a you know, th- there are elements of Steve Martin, I suppose, but I think I'm, I think I'm definitely more of a, a John Candyman, yeah. the Candyman. I think I'd I'd have the Steve Martin reaction to the situations, but I feel like I would be like John Candy's personality because, like, I've, I'm someone who is a very strict to schedule, strict to plan sort of person. Like I like to know what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen and Yeah, yeah. You know, and so so I feel like I would probably get quite stressed through it, um as Steve Martin does. Uh but I feel like I'd like I'd like to think that I'm more of a John Candy than Steve Martin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that John Candy is certainly the uh comes across mind you Steve Martin comes across as nice at the end when he just you know, he goes and gets him and brings him home. But uh but certainly John Candy seems like the more real, genuine, realistic character out of the two. Um, so Neil takes a shower while um, Dell tries the vibrating bed. Um, <laughs> and that's very similar to a scene in Vacation, uh, where I think Clark and Ellen, like, the vibrating bed messes up. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, I think it's the first one. Ah, oh, right. right. Well, we found, we found out with a... With a, with a our band issue that we've just had that um, he obviously has similar thoughts about things that are funny and uh, use, yeah. uses them again when he needs to. And I don't think that matters. I think that's all right. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Because, you know, it's only you know people like you who, you know, sit and analyse the whole film that spot these things. Most people, you know, shouldn't get about it and, you know, get on with life. I'm noise to my family when we're watching films, I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm very much of the, oh, that's a good use of diegetic sound, or, oh, can we go back and watch that bit again? Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to have to tell me what diegetic sound is now? Yeah, it's the music that's part, it's music or sound that's, like, part of the scene, whereas non-diegetic sound is, like, the soundtrack. Um, All right. Voice so it'd, be, it'd be sound that was meant to be happening anyway. Yeah. In the scene. All right, okay. So a track that maybe a music track that's playing in a nightclub is actually yeah. in the nightclub. Yeah. Anyway, right. Planes, trains. There we go. <laughs> yes. Planes, um, planes. We're getting there. Uh, Neil's wife is sleeping at home alone, and watching. She's having a baby. Uh, and like she's like, oh, we'll have to burn the sheets. And then there's the whole scene there. Uh, yeah. I've only seen she's having a baby I once. I, I can't remember that actually. I can't um, remember her watching the TV. You only hear it in the background. That's all. <laughs> it's just, I think, yeah, when I first saw this film, it was pretty shortly after I'd first seen She's Having a Baby. So it was very right. much of a just, you know, I recognised it. And I think I read it somewhere afterwards, probably. Uh, right. I haven't actually read anything in this book in a while, which I, I, I brought the the book out to have a look at before recording to read up on Plane Trains and Automobiles, and I didn't get to, so I'll have to double-check that later. Um, so, Dell and Neil argue, we've already talked about that there, um, some, oh yeah, I've, we, 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 we've bounced, <laughs> between... yeah, it's fine, we've bounced, we've bounced backwards and forwards, talking about our favourite scenes. Yeah, I mean, if anyone hasn't, I was going to say, if anyone hasn't seen the film, then maybe they shouldn't be listening to this, but I need the listeners, stay on, um, so... Uh, someone steals. If anybody from... hasn't seen the film, then there's something wrong with them. They, they, they've got it. When I talk to people and say they haven't watched this film, I go, "What? You, you, you know?" Oh, I've just remembered when we were talking about um, the the casting. There was a whole interview where they asked um, 
Steve Martin and John Candy, how come they haven't worked together before? And uh, then uh, John Candy said, how come Steve hasn't worked with De Niro before? And I can't remember the other ones, but they just they, they, they went on a bit of a tangent, just like listing all of these serious acts. Well, serious at that point. And yeah. I think De Niro is so focused on serious films anymore. No. It's a shame, really. De Niro has become like a parody of De Niro. He's still great, though. Mm. That's yeah. good. Probably started with Analyze That, I think. Yeah. Or was it this first? This or, I don't know, one of them. Uh, anyway. Right. Yeah, Down meet the pockets. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to... I, oh. Yeah, this is a film show. We, we can't expect to know every film. <laughs> I don't know any. I just know this one. You're, you're the film expert. I'm just talking about a film I like. So, yeah, I, I'm allowed to be wrong. You're the expert. You've got to get everything right. Oh, well, there was there was one well, before doing this. I thought I'd listen back to my older episodes, and there was one. I think it might have been Pretty in Pink, for which there is absolutely no excuse because that's a John Hughes movie, where I kept having to double check the characters' names. <laughs> and that's really bad considering the fact that I have notes. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, I do remember. I had I had autocorrect, and the character of Ducky had like changed it to Sicky, and that really confused me as to what was happening in the film. Yeah, well, it would, it would if Sicky mm. suddenly appeared in a movie you weren't expecting him to. No, I'm not a fan of Pretty in Pink anyway. No, I, I, don't, no, I don't know if you've seen it. Or... I don't, I don't know if I've seen Pretty in Pink actually. Like Pete, John Hughes made Pretty in Pink, and then he made some kind of Wonderful, which is almost like gender swapped version of Pretty in Pink. Right. And I saw them in the other order, so Pretty in Pink to me is always a rip off of some kind of wonderful, even though it isn't. Um, people can hear more about that if they listen to the the Pretty in Pink episode, anyway. Uh, just know that Sicky isn't a character. Um, so someone steals from Del and Neil's wallets, which I completely forgot about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's right. But but they sort of need that. They need that to make it realistic that they can't get home because you are sort of thinking well just buy a car or just do this you know you're, and, and when the wallet goes it sort of just makes everything slightly more believable you know that um, they can't you know they are it makes them more helpless basically doesn't it um, so then uh, we've got the whole those aren't pillows Dell's socks in the sink um, they get driven to the train station Um and then Neil and Dell part ways on the train, and I like the fact that for a long, for a large amount of this film, this we are just following Neil trying to get rid of Dell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is quite a. I like that sort of relationship they have, um, and I'm wondering whether this film was sort of inspired by stuff like um, the Out of Towners. Like that was quite a good, um, comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. yeah. I mean, obviously Steve Martin was in the remake of that, so I haven't seen the remake, but I know that it's got Steve Martin and John Cleese, so I should probably watch it at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's bound, there's bound to be some influence if Steve Martin's in it. Yeah. I don't know what order they came out. I I would load up. But also, MVP there's the whole and... thing with the car setting on fire. When does that happen? Oh, heck, yeah, that's later on, I think. That's another favourite bit of mine when the whole car just bursts in, it burns behind them. Ah. Oh, um, so, during the train station, the train stops and they have to walk, which is where they meet again. Um, I feel like everyone's had one of these days, you know, when you just can't get to where you want to go and everything seems to be going wrong. Yeah, it is It is that on steroids, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that day that we've all had just ramped up 3,000%, you know. With an uh, annoying guy to make it even worse along the route. Um, I've got a story of one of those days which I might tell. I'm wondering whether you've got any um, memories at all of a day that's gone completely wrong that you'd be willing to share. Do you know what? None, none really that bad. I've, I've missed trains and I've, yeah, you know, I've missed a plane once or twice, but nothing. But there again, I'm a bit like the dull character. I just think, oh well, we'll get the next one. You know, it never really, it never really winds me up like I can tell it's going to wind you up. I had a, a a trip a couple of years ago now, I think. Um, 
I'm a massive Doctor Who fan, and there was a convention in Cardiff celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Sarah Jane Adventures, right? Um, which I was very excited to go. And I managed to sign up as a volunteer for the event, so I was like, "This is great! I got to spend time with the guests. It's brilliant." Um, we set off. Uh, well, we're about to set off, and we realised we've got a flat tyre, and it's six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and there aren't really many places for a tyre. So we went to about three different places to get a tyre fitted. That killed about i think like three hours we ended up being three hours late the convention had already started before we uh, left on the way to cardiff um and then half an hour on the way um we realize well we get a phone call from our grandparents saying that we haven't dropped off the house keys so they can check on the dogs all right so we have to go back and get the house keys and drop them off to them and then like even even at the event when we're finally there like i collect a load of autographs then i leave my autograph book on the side and it's missing by the end of the just no, nothing went right that day. <laughs> it's, I mean, it made a good story, but I found out after the after the event that the job they were going to give me was going to be sitting at the autograph table with one of the guests for a couple of hours, which would have been uh, that would have been nice. incredible. Yeah. I'm not, you know, if it had gone the right way, maybe one of them would be on this show. You know. Well, there's always next time. You're only 15. Lots of chances left. I suppose so. Um, so they. The train stops, we've done that. Uh, Dell sells shower curtain rings. We haven't really talked about shower curtain rings in order to make money. It's a great little job for him to have, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's the perfect job for a nerd like that. Shower curtain ring sales when it's sort of... Mm. I love how specific it is. I think there's something great about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, comedy's good when you when you, you get very specific, you know, rather than just general. You know, salesman isn't funny, but, you know, shower curtain ring salesman is definitely funnier. I think it's very much like um, what Tim Vine does with uh, with Pen Behind the Ear. That the idea of something starting as a oh that's quite funny, then being almost overdone to the point of it not being funny until it becomes funny again. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that the shower curtain rings gag recurs, I I I, I took it that way anyway. I don't know if that's no if def- it comes definitely up. yeah. It's a de- they don't. They don't just use it once and run away from it. They sort of, they, you know, they, they nail their colours to the mast and say, you know, this is him, and we're gonna that that's gonna run through the whole thing. And uh, and you're right, it sort of becomes funnier the the more you realise that um, it's a thing. We must be near the end. I don't know. I'm not sure because with my notes, I tend to put loads of information at the start, and then slowly I'm just like writing one scene as a note. So right, you like, get bored with it. We're towards the latter part of my notes, but this could be at the start of the film, all I know. Right. The train stops. They have to walk. Well, I've said that several times now. Right. Neil orders a rental car, and it isn't there. Yeah. And, and we've and talked we about the uh, the whole scenario of not getting it. And then the... I think uh, Symphony and the F-word is what it's been referred to mm. in some places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the... It's 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 plethora of uses is incredible. It's like is it eighteen or nineteen times I read or something like that? I don't but know. it's quite yeah. It's uh, it's ridiculous. It might be that he says it eighteen and it's used nineteen times, but she says it back to him at one point. I don't know. I've just I've just remembered the song he sings on the bus. Ah, Flintstones. Yes. Flintstones, just... meet the Flintstones, hairy abba dabba do time, um, which is just like. It's just such a great American and, song to for him to start singing, and you know. And it's just uh, I can't find any note about the bus. That's really weird. So that might be now. I don't know. <laughs> oh no, yeah, the bus drops him off before the rental car, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah, they're not yeah, on the bus uh, for long. I don't think. Yeah. And there's, I think, yeah. The thing is that Neil, like, he's like, oh, I've got one. He's like, you know, he's, he's you can finally see the, re- the relationships sort of evolving between them. He's like, oh, I've got a song that we can sing, and then he starts singing it, and no one knows it. And I think yeah, that's yeah, um, that's a great bit. Um, so with the with the car rental scene, the actress who he's talking to, she was in Ferris Bueller. Um, oh. Her name, I think she played Grace. I'm not certain. Um, I can't remember her surname, but that's like. People say that, like I was listening to an interview this morning about playing trains and automobiles, because uh, surprisingly enough, I'm prepared, although it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> um, I just watched the film a few times years ago. 
Um, but apparently, like, people seem to think, oh, John Hughes, you know, he has these favourite actors he works with. Apparently, no. Apparently he just leaves everything to last minute, and then he just phones up all the people he knows until uh, right. someone who's been in one of his films is available. And, I mean, Kevin Bacon was up for this, so I suppose it worked. Yeah. Dell gets Neil out of a fight, and then they drive together in his metallic P station wagon. They don't say that, but that's how Eugene Levy describes it in Vacation, so... Right. That's how I don't know the name of Eugene Levy's character. He's like the the car salesman at the start, I think. I don't know either. Still could ask him be. But that that, that great scene where they're driving along and everything seems to go well, and then there's just that sort of falling asleep and the crash and the car. Oh yeah, my 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 favourite thing is when they're driving and as someone shouts to them, "There, you're going the wrong way," and he's like. No, you don't know what way we're going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, yeah. They start, like, making jokes with them and, like, you know, drinking gestures and stuff, and suddenly they turn around and there's this big, like, I don't know, is it a truck or something? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. There's two trucks in there that don't go right through the middle of them. Is that I what think happened? that's incredible. And you get, like, that very brief flash of, like, John Candy dressed as the devil or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, that's another great moment. And then, like both, that, and then they're both. And then they both. Is there a shot of them both just sat on the trunk with the car behind them, slowly? Yeah. Slowly setting a light. I think it's incredible that John Hughes can get away with just shifting the tone so quickly to you know that sort of weird, almost, almost absurdist sort of airplane naked gun style comedy of them going through there and then you know their faces changing and. Yeah, because like, it's the, the only fact... time that sort of happens, really, isn't it? Yeah, and the fact that he, you know, doesn't feel out of place, I think, is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anyone else who. I, I wonder away whether with I wonder whether he did it just to lighten that whole scene up a little bit. Of, you know, effectively as a horrific car crash. Mm. You know, you know, maybe it was just to lighten it slightly. So they catch, they crash the car, and it sets on fire, and we got that great bit. And then Neil finds out that Dell stole his card, and then he's. And then he asks for it back, and he says, oh, no, I gave it to you back in your wallet in the car that's now on fire. Yeah. Which is... Um, Neil gets a motel room, but Dell sleeps outside before Neil invites him in. Yeah. Um, He's just sat in the the shell of a car that still works somehow. And then we get this incredible moment as they all sit in the motel room. Well, they all, both of them, uh, sit together in the motel room and laugh about everything that's happened. Yeah, and it's that when they start drinking all the uh, the little bottles of alcohol yeah, that are in the mini bar. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that's Which a, I was that, that's the first, away, that's that's the first time they sort of start to bond, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because he has really, Hughes has really sort of shifted the acts around, because that would normally be like an early act, and then the argument would be like a later one, so he's completely changed the tone, and I think it's yeah. brilliant for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they get a lift in the back of a lorry... Um, to a train station in Chicago, and then um, Neil catches the train in Chicago, and Dell waves him off, and we get that incredible sequence while they're on the train. Um, I can't, you know, when when you really see Neil's train of thought, uh, no no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that. Like that's done so incredibly well, where you you see his memory, and you can see like the proper human train of thought through his head. Um, like, and and really also, you, as a viewer, you've never spotted it either. As a viewer, yeah. you know, at that point, you you have no clue that he's he doesn't have a wife anymore, and that he's alone. You know, you you, you sort of you discover it with Steve Martin's character, which is incredible because like there are little things in there. Like I was reading. That actually, if you take a look at uh, John Candy's trunk, all that's on it are stickers for different hotels he's visited. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, rather than any, like, sites or, you know, you wouldn't have photographs on there, but whatever. You know, it's quite a... Yeah. The fact that it's just the hotels that he's gone to. And I think it's good that, you know, it's it doesn't feel out of place. Like, it feels like it's something that you should have realised. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have no idea how Hughes manages it. It's, it's it's a shame he's really not around anymore to you know speak to him about all these. Yeah, you could have got him on the podcast. Great things. So, 
Uh, they get a lift in the back of... Laura, we've done that. Um, we've done that. They're on the train. They've left. On Steve the Martin put all, the, put all the clues together. And then Dell tells Neil that he's homeless. And, like, that... That's, like, an incredible... This is when scene. he's gone back for him, isn't it? And he finds him at the station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You ever thought if it's shot in a different way... Uh, like, I've seen different versions of the films where they've made it look like... Like people have edited it together to make it look like a horror movie, like he's got, like it is his wife in his trunk, and that's quite a. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd see if I can like link that when the show goes out because there's some really incredible videos that people have edited like that. Yeah. Um, but I suppose you could re-edit anything really. To... It would, yeah. It's a hard jump to make after you know that character to imagine that he could be a murderer. Though. Have you, um, have you seen The Room? You know, the famously the worst movie ever made. Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was on a podcast about that recently. I guested on, and I, as part of it, I I edited the scene where um, where Lisa is trying to seduce Mark, and I've dubbed over the um, the Joanna reprise from Sweeney Todd over it, and it like it it fits way too well. <laughs> right. right. So the next thing that happens, you know, we're so close to the end, we might as well avoid tangents now. Um, is that Adele, um his wife's been dead for eight years. They walk down to Neil's house, and Neil introduces Dell to his family. Yeah, there's a lovely moment as well where it's quite subtle, but um, Neil, the both of them are dragging the trunk. It's sort of you see, you know, yeah. it's that moment of Neil is helping Dell with the trunk. It's sort of, you know, it's a great little moment of they're together now. You know, you know, um, it's, it, it's sort of subtle, but it's very, you know. Says a lot, I think. Also, uh, there is only one thing about this film that dates it for me. And what's that? Um, that's the music. Like it's incredible, but it's so eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is fine. You know, it's a film from the eighties. You expect it. No, it is, and it's, it's sort of a Christmas movie as well. But it's not really yeah. much about Christmas in it. You know, it's sort of. I think that's just how we treat it in England because we don't have Thanksgiving, but it's just a, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. But, it's one of the it's one of the few Thanksgiving movies that like they have in America apparently. Yeah, I so for such a major season, there aren't many major classic films. Yeah. Um, then we've got the the post credit scene. I don't know if you remember the post credit scene. No, tell me the post credit scene. Uh, it's Neil's boss, and he's still looking at the pictures. Oh, do you know what? I'd forgotten about that. Uh... I'd completely forgotten. I just had the credits rolling, and, and I was just like. You know, putting my notes away, and I suddenly just look up and I'm like, oh, it's something else. Yeah. Um, I think John Hughes started the whole post-credit scene thing with Ferris Bueller, so I suppose trust him to be the one to use it. Yeah, it's popular now, isn't it? Everybody seems to do it. It's almost like you have oh. to do it. Yeah, I, I don't like that. <laughs> well, I get annoyed if I'm at a movie and the the post-credit scene starts and half the people are walking out. Yeah, well, like, like the only thing that annoys me is that people are only. Um, in the cinema, w- watching the credits because they're waiting for a post-credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's worth, you know, appreciating all the work that everyone's put into it by just spending five minutes reading their names. You know. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, if it's a, if it's a bad movie, I might not. But if it's, a, it's a, I mean, like I remember when I first saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like I just sat there and like tried to remember as many names as possible with that because. That film's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, what are your overall thoughts of the film? Um. Well, it's very, very simple. I think it's one of the best comedies ever made. Um. Uh. Yeah, it's just, and I just love it. It's just got, it's got so many different things, so many levels. You know, it's, uh, it's poignant. It sort of teaches us a bit about ourselves, but. Most of all, it's just, it's just, it is, there isn't a wasted moment in it, sort of comedically. Um, you know, there's no Deadwood, there's no, there's no bits where you go, oh, I could have done without that scene. I, you know, it's sort of solid all the way through. Do you consider it a family film? Uh, no, no, I think it's an old, I think, I think you, I think you need to be a little bit older to appreciate the whole relationship and what it's really about 
Um, I think kids would enjoy certain elements of it, but I, I don't think it's a family film as such. No, I wouldn't. You know, if I was putting it in a category, I wouldn't put it in family film category. Um, and do, do you think it would it would hold up if it came out today? Uh, yeah, with the possible exception, as you said, of the music. Um, so we have a we have a segment on this show which I always deliberately don't tell any of the guests about because I like people to come into it unprepared. Mm-hmm. Film retitling. If you had to retitle the film, what would you call it? And we can't would... just swap trains and planes the other oh, way around. Right. That's what I was, was going to do. <laughs> um, uh, that's a good question. Maybe the shower curtain salesman. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a horror movie. Maybe we could do the horror edit with it as well. Mm. Um, well, apparently the original cut for this film was over four hours long. Oh, right. Do you know Do you know if they had another title for it before before they had planes, trains and automobiles? I'm going to do that research now and just um, cut it so amazingly that people think I just know the fact. <laughs> um, or at least there must be interesting foreign titles. Yeah. Just a random thing. So you're coming... So I was having a look at your, um, your gigs, your tour thing. Yes. And um, interestingly enough, and you're coming over to Shrewsbury on my birthday, so that could be. Oh, a, I'll, I'll I'll try and come and see you. It's also my dad's birthday that day, so yeah, it yeah. depends. Yeah, what, yeah what you might you might have birthday with. things going on. Yeah. But if not, come and see me, and we'll have drinks, and party, and celebrate the fact that I was on your podcast once. <laughs> I'll hold you up to that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh. I can't... Okay, I didn't think this through. I go to have a look at all the different titles of the film, and of course, they're in different languages. Yeah. Um, but no, I can't. Planes, Trains and Automobiles seems to be the one that keeps coming up, but also, those are just all the English-speaking countries, so I suppose it would be. Um, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, original title, I'll Google, and then... I'm, it's I'm, I'm googling working title. <sighs> Ba-ba-da-bum. 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 There's a complete transcript here. I might use this website at some point. It's <laughs> a good way of getting the quotes right. I mean, it's not the screenplay, it's literally just the transcript, but it's interesting. Apparently it was originally going to be directed by Howard Dooch. Ah, I'm not surprised he did a lot of Hughes' films. But I think Hughes directed this incredibly well anyway. Yeah. Steve Martin thought the script was too long. Well, it was four hours, so I suppose that's valid. Yeah. I'd love to see the original cut, though. I'm trying to think. I was reading up, like, about, like, one person who did get to see the original cut, and I can't remember who it was. Um, Howard Dooch, he did... I mean, is it a name that you're familiar with? Or you no, familiar? I never heard of him. Right, he has done... He did the whole nine yards... Oh, he yeah. did uh, the Great Outdoors. He did um, the whole ten yards. Um, I can't see. There, there are definitely. He did Pretty in Pink, some kind of wonderful. And I think there's a few. Other, he's just done a lot of TV. He's done Young Sheldon recently, um, which I think's pretty good because that's. I'm not a massive Big Bang Theory fan, but because that's set in the sort of 80s time. Like his directing uh, worked quite well. Uh, right. Um, no, I'm, I'm sure thing I've just read here. You, you know the scene where Neil is thinking of Adele on the train. Yeah. Apparently, Steve Martin didn't know the camera was on him at that point, <laughs> and uh, and it was deliberate because John Hughes wanted him 
they went they went back and looked at the footage and they found some stuff where the camera was just rolling on Steve Martin between scenes. Um, and they used that. That's incredible. Apparently, he was that. just thinking about his next lines. <laughs> I'm going to skim this really quickly to check that there's no major notes. There's this great book called John Hughes: A Life in Film. Uh, there we go. It talks about the out of towners here, which I was mentioning. Um, the on the surface, the first proper is the first proper collaboration between. John Hughes and John Candy, if you exclude Vacation, I assume. Yeah. Um, and it fits neatly into cin- cinematic subgenre one might call the comedy of aggravated frustration. Yeah. Um, among these, the out of towners, um, or Martin Scorsese's After Hours. I haven't seen that one. No, I haven't seen that one. I feel if I start reading out of this book, then I'm going against the copyright law of '73. So uh, I have to I have to review it now. Now I've quoted from it. It's a good yeah. book. There we go. I don't know where you can get it or what people can do with it. But, uh... So, um... I think it's around the point to ask where can people find you on social media? Right. Or in real life. <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. Social media. Uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. I am just at the Archini. Um, and Facebook, you can find me as John Archer on Facebook. I've got a, I've got a, um, a fan page and an ordinary page there. I'm full of friends, so don't try and add me because I, I think I, I don't think I can add anymore. Uh, not that most of them are friends. These people I've just added without thinking and then thought, why did I add them? I apologise. I think I might have sent you several requests. At oh, some no, point. Don't worry. You you could be a friend. That's all right. Um, although you'll have to remind me because it'll be buried. I think I've got. Um, a pending list of about 1,500 friend requests. I'll um, send you a message later on, maybe. Yeah, yeah, do that, do that. Excellent. Well, thank you very um, much. So the listeners can find me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero. It's an old Twitter oh, account. Yeah, I don't know why it's that. that the, the old underscore Bottle Zero Llama thing. Yeah. Um, they can find the show on Twitter at, if you excuse the pun, please be tweeted. Um, you can find Please Be Seated on... Uh, Facebook and most podcast platforms. I assume you know where to find it if you're listening to the show. Um, you can, I, I, you can email me at luke at lukeallen.co.uk. Um, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you in the first episode of series two. No problem, Luke. I've enjoyed it. Have, um, have fun editing. Yeah, this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I find out that we've not been recording or something... We'll have to do it again another year. Um, so, have you um, got any tour dates or upcoming projects that you can... Uh, I've got a tour next year, but the two dates are all on my website, john-archer.com, www.john-archer.com, uh, and there's a, a news and date sheet there, which has got my whole tour for next year on there. Um, other than that, just keep your eye out. I normally mention things on Twitter and stuff. Please Be Seated is a Luke Allen podcast. For more podcasts, appearances and short films, visit lukeallen.co.uk.